honestly, I didn't want to talk about Eliza Fletcher. Except to say, she should be alive. But so should other homicide victims. The same day, though, that we recorded this podcast, the universe dropped this gem from WMC Action News 5. Nearly two months since Memphis mom, Eliza Fletcher, was kidnapped during an early morning jog near the University of Memphis. Her body discovered days later behind an abandoned house. Though a suspect has been arrested in connection with her case, women in Memphis are still asking, could something like that happen to me? Thank you for joining us. I'm Joy Redmond. And I'm Joe Birch. A kidnapping is reported nearly every other day in the city of Memphis, which sounds shocking. That's why the Action News 5 investigators spent the past six weeks analyzing more than 100 kidnapping reports to learn who is being targeted and where. To be sure, the report centered on a white woman who recently moved to Memphis as she played with her child for the camera. And even though the story focuses on the concerns of women related to missing and kidnapping, the data examined by WMC shows that men come up missing kidnapped too. Yet while people come up missing quite regularly for a variety of reasons, few, if any, have resonated in the public consciousness quite like Emily whose missing report turned into a kidnapping and ended in a tragic murder. Maybe that explains it, maybe not. Exploring the resonance is the focus of this episode of the Markup by Mediaverse. I'm your host, Richard. Let's get it. What you saying? See what you saying? She, in many ways, she's also like a symbol of 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 a stereotype where a white woman goes missing. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of press. There's a lot of attention. The police respond, and there's action. Uh, there's media coverage, and that's exactly what happened in Eliza Fletcher's case. But it doesn't happen that way in all cases. But is it because she was a white woman? What we want to talk about today is to get sort of an insider or, or deeper insight into missing persons. What happens when a person goes missing? Take this for instance. Well, in 2019, the missing person unit for the Memphis Police Department and Investigative Services, they handled 3,768 cases in that division. Of those cases, 806 were considered missing persons, 1,997 were runaways. 
what about the remainder? Were the kidnappings? It doesn't say. But what it does tell us, if you extrapolate from there, is that there are different levels to the police response and how when someone goes missing. And there are certain things that occur that elevate, that, that, that dictate what steps are to be taken. And that's what we're trying to get a sign up tonight. So joining me now is Eric Christensen, Chief Prosecutor for the Special Victims Unit in the Shelby County District Attorney's Office. Welcome to the show, Eric. Can you talk about the different levels of what's considered to be missing? Well, for us, at least, like a missing person, there could be many reasons for it. You know, a lot of times we'll see like one spouse, you know, they're fighting over a child or something like that. That's often the case. And and we have the the silver alerts. I don't know if you're aware of those, but it's when yeah. an elder when an elder mm-hmm. person is becomes missing. And a lot of times that's that kind of wandered off type of a situation, maybe. Right. Um, but a kidnapping is is where you know our office will, you know, often file charges, you know, that's a situation where you have an aggravated kidnapping or, you know, especially aggravated kidnapping or something like that. So, and that's where a person's, you know, taken, um, you know, like that, that big case we had, whatever that was a month or so ago. Um, and we do see those fairly often. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, there is a difference. That, that's the primary difference, you know, okay. um, with a kidnapping, there's almost certainly a violation of the law. Right. This person may not be, you know, right. could be, could still be a kidnapping, uh, but is often not um, a situation where someone's, you know, well, you know, it could be a situation where the, the parent has kidnapped the child. Um, that too. You know, but whether or not we file charges kind of depends. It could be, you know, more of a, a civil matter, you know, that kind of thing. But got you. I didn't really want to talk about Eliza Fletcher, but um, even just today, a lot of news is broken that is related to her. Like, for instance, uh, Channel 5 has just completed a, a six-week investigative report that shows that um, of the 100 uh, kidnapping cases that have, that have been reported so far this year in Memphis, Eliza Fletcher is the only person who uh, was found deceased. And so most of the kidnapping victims were either found or, or she's the only fatality this year. And, and because she was... Because she was 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 killed, that also uh, opened up a can of worms in terms of the suspect and her murder and the circumstances surrounding him. So it, it just brings out a whole lot of things. But what I would like to get to the heart of is what is the what is the process for missing persons, uh, reporting missing persons, but also acting on a missing persons report. From a legal perspective, do you guys follow sort of the same guidelines that TV? Well, when I say you guys, I, I should say do local police, and I know that you're in the DA's office. Do local police, this Memphis Police Department, do they follow the same guidelines as TBI does when it releases its alerts? I think they do. I mean, basically, of course, we don't generally get involved in and you know, obviously we don't get involved in searching for the missing persons or or the reporting process but what what typically happens is you you know if you have a missing person uh someone that you're worried about you you would contact either the tbi or in, in this case you generally contact the memphis police department 
Um, they they have a missing person person's unit. Um, you would file a report with them. Uh, I don't I don't believe that there's a, a waiting period or anything like that. We always hear about well, you have to wait 24 or 48 hours. I don't think there's a waiting period. Um, and and what they'll do is they'll begin you know an investigation and a search uh, for that person. Um, they'll issue you know if it's a child a young child they'll issue an Amber Alert and we get those on our phones from time to time. Um, they'll also, the TBI also has uh, what they call a clearinghouse and a fusion center uh, for missing persons. And they'll sort of work together to try to find uh, that person. We also have uh, another alert system. Uh, I think you've heard of the silver silver alert where there's a, a, an elder person that, that might be missing or has wandered away or, or something like that. But we generally don't, uh, or we don't get involved in, in the search for them. So, now, sometimes if there's a situation like the Eliza Fletcher case where there's clearly, you know, we, we had video where she was, you know, taken, you know, on the street and it was clearly a violent act. We'll, we'll get phone calls from the police. They'll call us and, and we'll kind of advise them and, 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 you know, sort of help them out to the extent that we can. Um, but generally we don't get involved with it uh, unless they call us. The MPD will call us periodically as they did on the Eliza Fletcher case. You're listening to the Markup by Mediaverse. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Markup by Mediaverse. I'm Richard. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Mediaverse. If you want to follow the show, it's at Markup by MD. All together. If you want to follow my co-host Melanie, she's at Mellow. Hello. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. You're listening to The Markup by Mediaverse. Thank you, DA Mulroy. Um, I appreciate you taking out the time. The impetus for this call is really about Eliza Fletcher. And I didn't really want to talk about her specifically, but I wanted to talk about um, missing persons and in, 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 in that there seems to be a process where the media is alerted and it just seems like once the media is alerted and the, the attention grows for a particular case, sometimes it sometimes it it, it 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 peters out, but in other cases like Eliza Fletcher's case, it keeps going and going. I just wanted to get your insight into what that process is, how how those alerts occur, at what point do those alerts occur? Um, because it just seems like that there as as I've studied this. There are different levels when it even comes to classifying who's missing. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, and I think it's you know primarily a law enforcement task to decide when someone's considered to be missing and to decide whether at what point an alert, a public alert, uh, is appropriate. So it's you know more of a law enforcement thing than it is for our office. A person could be missing. An older person who wanders away from their home. It could right. be someone leaving a de- domestic abuse a situation or or parent right. who takes away a kid. And right. so so to that end, it, it I guess when it escalates to the point of being officially a crime, uh like the Fletcher case, where we where there was discovered video of her being abducted, that was a clear crime. That seemed to escalate the police response or the or the, the law enforcement response to that. Is that a sure. clear reading of that? 
Yeah, yeah, I think that's fairly stated. Sure. Yeah, well, I mean, early on, they're not even sure that there is any uh, foul play uh, afoot. There can be all kinds of explanations, but once it's clear that there is a crime, then, you know, law enforcement is going to get, the response is going to get more robust. And, you know, in cases where you've got clear evidence of an abduction and there is still hope that the person is still alive, then, you know, that's when it's all hands on deck, you know, and that's what you saw with the Eliza Fletcher case. And that's what I told you earlier, it's, but that's when you'll get, you know, there, there'll be some cooperation. Like I know that in Eliza Fletcher case, the police were calling one DA Mulroy and, and another assistant, and they were kind of advising and, and, and checking in with, with each other to, uh, in, a, in an effort to find her. I mean, you know, I visited the that- center over that weekend while they were still looking for her and, you know, visited with the family and uh, consulted with law enforcement a lot. But, you know, that was during those first couple of days when there was still hope of finding her alive. As the DA, a lot of people view you sort of as the face for law enforcement outside of the mayor and the police chief. We'll sort of boil it down to the missing person aspect. But if you could talk about the role of the DA in, in that process. Yeah, I mean, early on, the role was pretty limited. Uh, you know, we're there to consult, for law enforcement to consult with as law enforcement deems it necessary. You know, a lot of times there aren't really a lot of complex legal issues. It's just investigating and finding the culprit. But, you know, if there are issues about, well, do I have enough for a warrant? And they can consult with the prosecutor's office or I've got a suspect now, do I have enough for an arrest? I've got an arrest. I'm thinking about these charges versus those charges. You know, early on, we simply consult. You know, it's only after suspects in custody that, you know, we take over and start talking about, all right, these are the charges we're going to bring. You know, we're going to seek pretrial detention or not. You know, this is the bail that we're going to seek, you know, and and then we go into pretrial hearings and eventually probably plea negotiations. But early on, we were just like, we play a consultative role. You're listening to the Markup by Mediaverse. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Markup by Mediaverse. I'm Richard. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Mediaverse. If you want to follow the show, it's at Markup by MV all together. If you want to follow my co-host Melanie, she's at Mellow Hello. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. You're listening to The Markup by Mediaverse. So when you hear people talk about the, the missing white woman syndrome. Yes. When you hear things like that and, and people saying that, well, if you know, there, there are missing black people who don't get enough coverage or, or, or the response doesn't seem to be as robust, how do you respond to those kind of things? Well, I'm going to start out by saying I think it is a real phenomenon. I, I don't deny it. I mean, I think, you know, if you take a look at the media coverage nationally over the last decade, you know, clearly missing white woman syndrome is a thing. Um, you know, I mean, if the, if the suspect is, or, or if the victim is white, 
and female, particularly if the white, white female and uh, wealthy or attractive, you know, that does seem to be bait for the media, clearly. Now, in terms of law enforcement response, you know, I suppose it, it, it probably, you know, nationwide, um, that may be uh, an issue as well. I'm not sure. I can say that in the Eliza Fletcher case specifically, we did have the situation early on of thinking the person might still be alive and, and savable. And then I think, you know, justified the cooperation of all the different law enforcement agencies. And I did see seamless, I was impressed. I saw seamless cooperation between federal and state and local uh, law enforcement trying to find someone that they thought was still alive. Now, as for the, um, the media scrutiny, you know, the outsized media scrutiny that we got for that case, mm -hmm. um, you know, not putting aside law enforcement response, but media response, and it truly was extraordinary. I mean, I, that daytime press conference I had in the Eliza Fletcher case, there must have been 40 cameras. Mm. It wasn't just national, it was literally international press coverage. Uh, it really was unlike anything I'd ever experienced. And I've been around for, for a long time and I've dealt with a lot of press conferences and a lot of high profile situations. Um, you know, could part of that be uh, missing white woman uh, syndrome? Yeah, I'm not going to deny that. I think it might also have to do with the fact that, you know, uh, the, the victim was from a prominent family that was already relatively well known. And, uh, lived the kind of life where she had you know touched so many other lives and was connected in so many other ways i mean you know for weeks everywhere you went you met somebody who said i you know my daughter was in her kindergarten class or my son's chiropodist's nephew was in the same choir you know there's just lots of six degrees of separation going on i, I noticed in some of the stories some of the reporting in terms of the DNA testing that occurred in, in the Eliza Fletcher case, that it was done, you know, basically within a, a relatively faster pace than it would have than it would have gone normally, right? Absolutely. Um, when you look at that, is that a matter of just? But that can't be done in every every case. That's right. So that's right. How 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 do you explain that to people when it when it's a matter of resources? that it can't be done for everyone. So I'm gonna, uh, and you know, and Eric can chime in because he's been in this office longer than I. You know, at the time this occurred, I had been on the job, you know, exactly one week. And I've been on this job for two months. So um, I can tell you that the reason, at the time, the reason I thought we had an extraordinarily expedited turnaround time on the DNA test compared to the average case was because we thought, you know, um, she might've been I, alive. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so every, we were just throwing all kinds of resources at that case for that reason. Um, you know, I don't have a, a long enough track record to say, you know, how would this, uh, compare to another similarly situated instance in which, we thought the suspect, we thought the victim was still alive, but the person, you know, was not white um, or not female or not from a prominent family. I, I don't have the the, uh, the the data set to compare that. So I'm I'm going I'm operating on the assumption 
but that was the explanation. But you're absolutely correct. This was an extraordinarily expedited DNA turnaround time. It was, and I, and I can kind of chime in on that a little, you know, the, the and, and, uh, and DA Mulroy knows this, that there's a pretty tremendous backlog with TBI. We send uh, D, DNA kits, rape kits, and that kind of thing to the T, TBI lab, which is in Jackson, Tennessee. Uh, and they have about a nine to 11 month backlog right now. So if you send a rape kit today, uh, you can expect it and you put it in the normal queue. It's going to be nine to 11 months before you get results on that kit. What happened in Eliza with the Eliza Fletcher case was uh, an expedited. We, we made it a, or either MPD or, or our office or both made a request to expedite that testing. Uh, and they will expedite when you request it. Uh, that's not particularly unusual. We we uh, we get rape uh, cases fairly frequently where we ask for expedited testing. Um, and they, they're usually, they, they accommodate us. So it's, I would say probably on a monthly basis, we ask for expedited testing in, in various cases for various reasons. Um, so, so they're pretty good about it. Um, you know, the, of course the, the dream or the hope is that, that someday we just, you know, as soon as we send something over there, it gets tested quickly, just on, just as a matter of course. And I think, and, and, uh, that, that there's been money set aside for that now or, or money budgeted for more scientists at TBI so that we can get those. I just met with one of the TBI people who's in charge of this program just the other day, and they're talking about a goal of 60 to 90 days as being the uh, usual turnaround if they get the resources that are currently contemplated. I hope that's the case. Besides just making the request, is there anything extra that the, the, the DA's office can do? Not really. Yeah. Yeah. Other than making their request and, you know, there's not much else we can do. I mean, you know, we can use the bully pulpit to yeah. uh, join the chorus of people asking for more resources for TBI so that we can uh, reduce the average uh, turnaround time. But other than that, it's just we, we can be judicious about when we make the expedite request and make the expedite request in every case where it's warranted. but no case where it's not warranted and you know that's what we're trying to do you're listening to the markup by mediaverse we'll be right back you're listening to the markup by mediaverse i'm richard if you want to follow me on twitter i'm at mediaverse if you want to follow the show it's at markup by mv all together if you want to follow my co-host melanie at Mellow. Hello. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. You're listening to The Markup by Mediaverse. So when the police issue their alerts, is the DA's office alerted to that? Or are you guys made aware of those before they come out or in the process of those alerts being developed? Eric, we don't really get involved in that, right? No, no, generally no. Uh, we'll, you know, when you get an Amber alert uh, on your phone, that's, I, I'm usually not aware of it until I get the alert. Um, unless, you know, occasionally there's a situation where a child, you know, where they think that there's a homicide or something like that involved and, and we might know about it prior, but typically no. Got it. So it seems like if there's a clear evidence of a crime, like, like for instance, I was reading the, um, the Memphis Police Department's 2019 annual report, and in their missing persons unit, it says that 
2019, they handled 3,768 cases for missing persons. And of those cases, 806 were missing persons and 1,997 were runaways. And so that got me to thinking about, well, that doesn't necessarily add up to 3,700-some-odd cases. It just seems like there's, there, as we mentioned before, there, there are different levels to when it comes to being a missing person and even how the police view these cases and the resources that they, that they um, commit to each case. It, it just seems like there's, a, there's a, a large number of them every month. I, I wouldn't disagree with you. So, so in terms of the public, though, what can we do as journalists and the media to help the, help the public understand better how that process works? It's not necessarily that the police are, are maybe ignoring certain, certain folks or, or, or maybe, as, as in the, the case of Eliza Fletcher, where it became clear that there was a clear crime that was committed, that sort of seemed to, I don't want to say the word trigger, but that sort of seemed to force, force the issue in terms of the response and, the, and the, how, how, how everything worked from there. Well, so one of the things, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, one of the things media can do is to do more re reporting like you're doing right now. You know, I mean, this podcast is, you know, I think, unfortunately, the exception and not the rule for uh, journalists about this issue. I mean, I think, you know, for context, I think journalists need to make sure they can explain to the public, you know, how, how so many things that are initially missing person cases end up not being what we think of as typical abduction cases, mm -hmm. right? Uh, explain to the public that in uh, many cases, you know, the police need to know that there is in fact a crime before they uh, leap into action. Uh, the relevance of thinking the person is still alive in terms of, you know, priority. Um, and, you know, the fact that right now we've got this DNA backlog and unless DA's office or law enforcement makes an expedite request, you know, there's going to be a length. So that's important context. But, you know, Perhaps to your earlier point, just as important is, you know, the media needs to overcome the white woman bias. Mm -hmm. and I think it does exist. Um, and, you know, I don't know what you do about that. You know, I mean, if the, the media companies have research somewhere that shows that, you know, they'll get more ratings if they highlight those cases, I don't know. Um, but, you know, clearly the, the abduction or murder of a non-white person, male or female, is just as tragic and just as urgent as, you know, that of a wealthy, attractive white woman. We, you know, we should, the public, the media needs to know that. And, you know, as long as we're on the subject, I may be digressing from your narrow point, but I was just at a conference recently in which there was discussion about, um, you know, if it bleeds, it bleeds journalism. Right. You know, and the tendency of media to focus every night on one or two sensational cases, um, portrayed sensationally, giving the impression that, you know, the 
crime rate that the 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 the, uh, the, the, the jurisdiction is far less safe than it really is. Right now. Now I'm talking as the Shelby County DA, so I want to make sure it's clear that I am not at all minimizing the horrible problem we have with violent crime, which has been rising over the last decade. But there was a really great um, John Oliver segment just a few weeks ago. I don't know if you caught it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was right on the money. If you look at so so to that point today, um, WMC investigators. And they're reporting on kidnappings that have happened in Memphis. One of the, the, the underlying theme of that is that it's focused on women, even though a number of the kidnapped victims are, have not been women. But it's focused on, on women and their feeling of security, their feeling of safety. And to your point, you know, it, it, it is, I, I guess, it's, it's, it, I guess one of, you could argue that it's trying to make people paranoid or or make people feel like women are being targeted and they should be they should feel they should question their safety when even in the own report later on it mentions that these are extremely rare uh, it's extremely rare for kidnapping to occur at, at least as far as if it's somebody that you don't know right and a lot of crime that happens in Memphis it happens amongst amongst the acquaintances that's what right. we've always known about crime in Memphis. Right. You know, yeah, so it's an absolutely fair point. And I haven't seen the WMC TV segment in question, although I might have been interviewed on it because I think I was, I was interviewed. Yeah, you're interviewed on it, right. Okay, all right. Yeah, so I haven't seen it myself. So I'm not going to uh, bash, uh, I think it was Jessica Jaguars? Yes. Right? Who's, who, in my experience, is a great journalist. I mean, Yes, she's very good. Yeah. Her reporting on the um, election stuff in 2020 and the absentee ballot uh, case that I worked on, I thought was was excellent. So I give her, you know, kudos for that. But, um, but putting aside that particular uh, segment, yes, you're right. Um, very often, crime stories lack crucial context about the denominator. Right? You know, the numerator is sexy, alarming case just happened, um, but the denominator is you know, the total number of cases where it doesn't have those right. alarming, you know, where it was a false alarm or, you know, it wasn't a stranger abduction or it was a runaway or something like that. Um, and, you know, and of course, if you take a look at, you know, the, the 900,000 people in Shelby County, you know, who go through their lives every year without being the victim of a stranger abduction, you know, that gives you context too. Right. So it is very easy to even become unintentionally alarmist sure. by not providing that context, you know, and that is a, a discipline that media has to put on themselves. You know, no one else can put it on them with the First Amendment, you know, and, and, and unrevealed. Um, but I think that um, even when a responsible journalist tries to provide that context with some voiceover commentary, particularly if it's like voiceover commentary at the end, that doesn't penetrate because it's a visual, TV's a visual medium. And if the viewer sees these scary images at the top of the segment, then all the context voiceover in the world at the end isn't really going to do much good. Right. Right. It's not. It's not. DA Mulroy, I think we've covered most, we've basically covered what I wanted to speak about. Is there any, any last 
comments that you would like to make or, or uh, about the topic at hand? Yes, uh, there is a comment that I would like to make. And that is, um, we've never done an interview before, but um, longtime fan, first time caller. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm serious. I'm not just blowing smoke. You know, for years I thought, who is this Mediaverse guy? You know, <laughs> who is he? Because he's always, you know, providing this really trenchant, uh, spot on needed commentary about media. And there really is nobody else holding local media accountable. I mean, it's pretty much you. And from my understanding, it isn't even your full-time job. So, you know, uh, kudos to you. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Eric, is there anything else you want to add? No, I can't say it any better than the boss did there. So, um, yeah, I think, you You know, what you might try to is that if you want to delve deeper into the missing persons is try to try to contact uh, MPD and maybe get uh, maybe you can get there because they have an actual lieutenant in charge of missing persons. So uh, maybe they could, you know, delve more into the, into the their their procedure with you. Well, good but I'm going to start listening. I didn't I've never listened to one of your podcasts. So. Well, I appreciate it if you do. Um, again, uh, Eric, uh, D.A. Mulroy, I really appreciate you taking out the time this evening to speak with me. Um, I wish you the best in your tenure as D.A. And, and perhaps down the road we can talk a little bit more about your office and the, the reforms that you're trying to institute for Shelby County. Always, always willing to talk. Take care now. Thank you, guys. Great. Appreciate you. Great. Thanks, guys. See you, sir. You're listening to The Markup by Mediaverse. See you next time. So what you saying? So what you saying?